Welcome to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. I am Dr. John, the guide for your heroic journey towards greater health, success, and most importantly, happiness. And now, on with the show. Hey everybody, this is Dr. John and a quick PSA regarding my new virtual men's group that meets on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pacific time. There's only a few spots left, but I thought you might want to know about it. It's a quick, easy, and cheap way to work with me. And maybe some of you have a career. Maybe you've made some money. Maybe you have a reputation for yourself at work. But maybe what you lack is things like happiness or purpose, a fulfilling relationship or a healthy sex life, the passion, happiness, and ease that you once had with your spouse, an emotion other than numbness, disconnection, or irritability. This group is for men who are trying to be values-driven, interested in lifelong learning, and curious about how to become the best possible versions of themselves. The group is not for men who want to remain in the comfort zone while sitting at home watching TV. So again, group meets weekly, Wednesday, 7 p.m. It's only $95 per session, and you can call 510-863-0057 for more details. That's 510-863-0057. And now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. John, back with another episode of the Evolved Caveman Podcast. And today, I am really thrilled to have with me Bob Conlon. And Bob is the author of Why My Relationship Sucks. And I'm going to have Bob introduce himself today because I can't read. And that's because I, not because I can't read, but because my vision is quite messed up. So mm. Bob, take it away. Yeah. Hey everyone. Uh, as John said, my name is Bob Conlon. I'm a men's alchemist, coach, author, leader, husband, and father. Uh, I believe relationships we have with ourselves, those we love, and those we lead have the greatest impact on our life experiences. Uh, powerful and lifting relationships are created once we get connected to and responsible for our generational traumas, triggers, and limiting beliefs about what's actually possible in our lives. Uh, my unique and courageous approach to creating relationships has been featured on ABC World News Tonight, CBS, NBC, Good Morning America, and most popular popular social media outlets. Uh, I have extensive training as an ontological coach, Gottman Institute trained. I'm a master certified coach with the International Coach Federation, president of the ICF Chicago chapter, co-founder of the Alchemy of Men, and co-founder of the Living Love Incubator program. Uh, as John said, my latest book, Why My Relationships Suck, Create Strong Relationships with Courage and Heart, can be found at Barnes & Noble. So good awesome. to be here, man. Thank yeah. you so much. I'm excited to have you here. And, and we were just talking before we got on the air. I wanted to talk a little bit about physical difficulties and what we've had and how that affects our masculinity among other things or our perception of masculinity. Because as I was saying to you before, um, <laughs> my left eye is filled with blood right now and mm. I can't see as a result of 10 retinal tears uh, about three weeks ago that, you know, took four injections in the eyeball and an hour of laser to try and heal or scar those tears so that I wouldn't have a retinal detachment, which I've already had them in the right eye along with three surgeries going back to 2015. So, you know, it's one thing to lose one eye. It's quite a different thing to lose the one remaining good eye, or at least have that as a possibility. And so now I'm looking at the exact same surgery that I had before on the right eye on my left eye, um, Mm. followed by a week laying face down, looking at the floor in order to recover. Um, and 
it, it made me think of some other surgeries that I've had and other experiences that I've had where I've had these odd thoughts of I'm less of a man now. And so I just wanted to open that up to you to see if you've had any of those experiences where due to physical decline or physical illness or injury that you've ever had some of those thoughts. Yeah, of course. And man, sorry you're going through that. I can't, Thank you. Thanks I can't so much. Imagine. You know, I, I had an eye injury about a month ago and knocked me on my ass. And uh, yeah, I know how how impactful like not having the vision that you're accustomed to can be, man. So are you okay? Now? Yeah, yeah. Oh, thankfully, okay. it's. I'm still. I have a couple more appointments on the books, but um, yeah, I got, I got, I mentor this this young boy, and he loves basketball, which I hate. And uh, so we were playing, <laughs> we were playing basketball and uh, he did a half court shot, bounced off the rim and ricocheted, like hit perfectly into my eye, you know, contusion, oh. tear, uh, tear uh, retinal, like severe scratch and our cornea scratch. And uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty intense, but yeah, for the most part, I'm, I'm back to, back good. to normal, Glad to but yeah, man, it's a good topic. I think so much of um, how I relate to myself as a man is how I, experience myself in my body right and you know i've had a number of um pretty significant surgeries i had a spine surgery on my neck you know i've had some hernia surgeries um and both of those experiences really took me out of my body right like i you know i went from i'm a pretty active guy i love to lift weights you know i love to feel strong and when when that's taken away from me i do really feel lost and and I love that, you know, we that that's kind of getting tied to our masculinity and and how we relate to ourselves as men, because it, it's a good core correlation to understand, you know, because when that's taken away or if it's taken away, then what happens? Right. You know, how, how do you reinvent or how do you reintegrate the experience of being a man if your body's not up to par with um, where you expect it to be? You know, and I. um you know, recently I've been, uh, well, my wife, my wife and I, we've been in a conversation uh, probably for about a year. We made the decision that we're no longer going to have children for, we're not going to have any more children. We have mm -hmm. one son. He's uh, just about three. We had a really traumatic pregnancy, um, where we almost lost him. Like they gave us a less than 1% chance that he wouldn't make it. And, uh, he's wow. here. He's, he's completely, uh, awesome. You know, he's totally Fantastic. normal. Totally but, um, you know, like we, you know, I'm 47, she's 44 and, you know, we're just, our bodies are done <laughs> yeah. and, and having kids is such a, such a young person's game in my opinion. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we were talking about, Hey, should I go get the snip? Should I get, get a vasectomy? And, um, you know, like without thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. You know, like, fine. No worries. I, you know, I scheduled the consult. And then the more I sat with it, the more I noticed how it was really eating at me to the point where I canceled the consult and didn't even tell my wife. And I was like, man, it's, you know, I had, I started creating a story of, um, you know, if that happened, you know, when I get, I was like castrated, you know, I was like being very significant about it. But yeah. when I get that, when I get the vasectomy, like I, I even shared, it. I was like, it's, it makes me feel like I'm less than a man. You know, if I don't, if I don't have like, or it takes some power away from me or something. And then I would go into these fantasies about like, oh, what if my wife left me and I met a new woman and I, you know, couldn't conceive and she wanted kids and she'd leave me. And I totally like spiraled and catastrophized 
um, all around it. And like the thing, the thing I did was, you know, I think by default, I don't share a lot of my challenges or I haven't, you know, I, I kind of keep that stuff inside. And what I've learned is that there's so much power and so much possibility in being vulnerable and actually getting that stuff out and sharing it, particularly with another man and particularly mm-hmm. with a group of men. So there, there's a, a men's group I'm in that that's run by uh, Trevor Boehm called the Uncivilized Nation. And, um, you know, I'm part of that men's group and I brought, I brought my concern to the group. And um, a lot of the guys that I look up to and respect and have, have helped me, they're like, yeah, I got it. It's no big deal. You know, I was down for a couple of days and like, I was like, oh man, if these men, you know, if these men have had that, you know, it just, it just helped me feel a little more comfortable in, in making the decision. And one of the guys brought up a really, a really good question to me that had me kind of stop in my tracks. He's like, well, you know, what is your definition of a man? And for me, like I had to, you know, that's something that, that we talk a lot about in the men's groups I run is with the alchemy of men is, is what is your definition of masculinity? What is your definition of being a man? And very much so, I'm still like figuring that out. Yeah. You know, 47 years old, I've been a man my whole life and I'm still discovering and figuring that out. When, and thank you for sharing all that. I, I think that's yeah. why the topic is so fascinating to me because I think you're absolutely right. It, it's not about what my definition of masculinity is for you. It's about what is your definition of masculinity for you. And, and I think we find out along the way, especially as we're getting older, that some of these things that we thought, oh, I can do that, no problem, actually psychologically and emotionally can have a pretty big impact. And I, I got a vasectomy back when I got, after I got divorced, because I was like, yeah. you know, I was, I think I was in probably about your same age, 46 or so. And I was like, yeah. I don't, I don't want any more kids. So it was my choice. I, I drove it and I, I was scared before I had it done, number one. Um, and I asked, I remember I asked the, the doctor, I was like, you know, can you give me like a sedative or something for this? He's like, oh, it's, it's no big deal. He's like, just have a couple of tequila shots before you come in. That's what my brother-in-law did. <laughs> and I was like, huh, that doesn't sound very doctor-like, but okay. Right. Um, right. But I, I ended up not doing that. But um, the procedure wasn't bad. It, it's still, it's, it's scary just because you're not used to having any procedure done down there. But I remember afterwards for the first like 24 hours, I had these thoughts and, you know, I make the distinction between first voice and second voice in our head where the first voice is kind of that primitive, emotional, atavistic side of ourselves. And it was that first voice in me saying, wow, you're less of a man now Mm -hmm. because I couldn't have kids. And I was like, the second voice was like, wow, that's really messed up. Like, I wonder, you know, why do you think that? Why, why is that such a big deal? Even when you know rationally, you don't want any more kids. And so I I think it's, so I appreciate you going there because I think it's important for men to hear this, that there are things like this that do affect our definition of our masculinity or our our perception of masculinity. And and I had spinal surgery too, uh, during COVID and, and that impacts it too, because then you're, you're on your back, you're reliant on others for help, which I think is hard for most of us. And, and I think it's also a great humbling experience to be in a position where you have to ask for help. Um, and I think it's one of the necessary lessons for us. And so I just want the men out there that are listening to understand that those thoughts are normal. It doesn't mean that they're true or accurate, but I, I think that they're normal for many of us. Yeah, hundred percent. And, you know, 
realizing that you're not alone in that is is so important and so powerful to help move through it to help us all all move through it and you know one of the things i'm present to too is you know i think a lot of men you know define their masculinity or define who they are as men by what they can do right and when we have that especially in that that physical body when we have that impact or taken away from us it, it forces us to really cultivate or nurture or, or discover um who we are as men by what by who we be or the energy yeah. that we bring into things right so in my mind i immediately go to um you know part of my definition is living a life of integrity do my do my thoughts do my actions and words all align with with who i say i want to be you know am i showing up daily for my commitments am i um you know creating a container of safety and and holding for you know those that i love in my life right am i like a grounding force and those you know those are all experiences that um you know along with the body when it's when it's healthy and moving along i think you know that integration of understanding what it means to be or to be a man like the being aspect the energetic aspect is so is so critical critical to have that level of awareness so if the doing or the physical body gets taken out, we still have something to hold on to. Yeah. And, and I absolutely agree with you. I think that's how we're socialized in terms of we understand ourselves. We understand our masculinity and our worth through our physicality, yep. you know, because when we're younger, it's all compete. It's, you know, be physical. It's win. it's you're only as good as your last accomplishment. And those accomplishments are typically tallied in terms of competition wins and losses. Yep. And, how and much we're can not you so, what's that? So how much can you bench? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Or did you win your last game? Whatever that game is. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. it's all about numbers and it's not, we're not socialized in terms of, you know, psychological maturity, emotional maturity, relational maturity, spiritual maturity, wisdom, um, the things that you were just saying. And, and so I, I think we largely over identify with our physical being and, and, you know, to a large extent with the thinker in our head as well. Yeah. And, you know, it's not that, that that's a bad, you know, it's a bad thing, you know, that, you know, we're so identified and connected to our, you know, our, our physical strength or, um, you know, what our achievements, things like that, but there's so much more, right. And, and tapping into like the, the full energetic experience of yourself in, in my experience, just really, um, provides much more to life. Like there's more joy, there's more connectedness there's more intimacy you know particularly in relationships um there's more um power behind my impact of of who i am as a leader as a father as a husband and um you know ultimately like if you know we're not we're not growing and and experiencing ourselves in service of having an extraordinary life having an incredible life um living life to its fullest like time's ticking like we you know we have the opportunity and potential to have so much more for our lives. And I think a lot of us don't recognize that or don't see the value in tapping into the full integrated self. And, and I absolutely hundred percent agree with you. I think there's nothing wrong with identifying with the physical or with the intellectual. It's just, yeah. it's, there's so much more yep. to us than that. And to limit ourselves to just those gears, so to speak, is inherently limiting. And, and so to have the ability to tap into the emotional or the spiritual or the relational 
are things that we're not taught and we're not encouraged to do. And yet they're so incredibly important. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I was, um, uh, one of my, the co-founder for Alchemy of Mind, Alex Terranova, who's been, mm-hmm. who, you know, personally, and has been a guest yeah, I here. Love Alex. Um, he just got married and, uh, we were in, uh, Tulum in Mexico and they've got this like caveman jungle gym thing there. And, um, you know, like I was like, you know, I've been working on throwing up some, some big weight, some heavy weight. And, and, um, you know, one of the goals I wanted to to have this year was to get stronger. And I, I ended up benching like 315 pounds, which is like the most I've ever benched. And it felt good. And it was, um, you know, it was a good milestone to hit for me. And Alex, uh, you know, in his social media had mentioned something about, um, you know, kind of the Andrew Tate way of, of looking at masculinity and, and he just got shredded by all these guys and, you know, attacking his masculinity and, and who he was as a man. And, um, one of the things that he, you know, like he posted was like, yeah, this is to let everyone know that you're not a soy boy, like as a kind of a joke, right? Like mm-hmm. that. Oh, gotcha. Cause that was one of the insults that he got. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you know, like I, I can, I can throw up that weight. And my response to him was, yeah. And I can also cry and yeah. I can, sometimes I, I bench and cry at the same time, you know? So, <laughs> you know, it was just, it was kind of like a little joke, but it yeah. was just like, man, having access to that, you know, like you talk at head, heart, body, heart, whatever, like having access to that, um, that emotional side of yourself and that, um, you know, maybe you might call it like the more of the feminine characteristics mm-hmm. of, of self is, is critical, man. Like it's critical to, to live your most fullest productive life yeah. in every aspect, right? Career, well, and I think I, I love yeah. the idea, like, sorry for interrupting. I, I love the idea. Tears aren't a show of weakness. They're a show of strength. Yeah. And, you know, and we know from research that, there's cortisol in our tears and cortisol is the hormone connected to stress. So tears are actually a physical release yeah. of stress and overwhelm. Um, and if you don't have access to that, you're going to bottle it up and take it out on others. Um, and the other thing that comes to mind is, you know, speaking of kind of balancing masculine and feminine energies, I remember I've, I've never reached out more for help than I have in this past week or two. Mm. And, you know, I, talked to the spiritual, I guess, mentor of mine over in Switzerland. And I was telling him that I was having trouble with my left eye. And he said, well, you know, generally the left eye is, or the left side of the body is the feminine side of the body. Because mm-hmm. when I interviewed him on the podcast, I made a, a joke about, you know, never wanting to masturbate with my right hand again, because, you know, <laughs> that would be gay. Sorry, just a little joke there. But um, so anyways, he was saying, so what, what message are you not receiving from the feminine within you? Mm. What are you not seeing? What are you not hearing? And I was like, Hmm. Yeah, let me think about that. Yeah. Um, wow. Cause you know, obviously there's a physical reason for this, but there's more to it than just that I would argue as well. And that's the question I've been asking myself is what am I not seeing? What am I supposed to see more clearly? Um, and I think it has to do with my relationship with Jory, whom I'm, you know, working on rebuilding that relationship after a couple months of uh, breakup, yeah. and that's never been going better. Um, the, that repair effort has been bearing a lot of fruit, and so it's just—I think it's fascinating to have your defenses broken down, to be humbled, to 
tap back into that curiosity and be able to look at things maybe more honestly and clearly than you ever have. Yeah, sure. That, you know, that, and then what is the prerequisite to that is, you know, vulnerability, right. Is opening yourself up in that way. What was it like for you or what has it been like for you to ask for help in, you know, in more ways than than you're accustomed to? Uh, Thank you for the question. It's a hell of a question. Um, It's something I've been working on for the past few years. And I realized that I'm not, I was not very good at it at all mm-hmm. and traditionally have not asked for help at all because I'm a man. And, right. um, and so realizing that was a weakness and that it was kind of biting me in the ass at times, I've started to, to begin to reach out at times and it's inevitably rewarding, rejuvenating, informative, um, it feels good because it gives other people a chance to show that they care about me. Mm-hmm. What, what's been your experience with asking for help? Yeah, it, um, my inability to ask for help like literally almost killed me. Um, it was one of the hardest things I, I had to learn um, in, in the late '90s, early 2000s. Um, I got into some really heavy drugs. And, um, you know, I'd always kind of, even as a young kid, like mess around with alcohol and weed and stuff like that. But then things just progressed at a rate that was unsustainable. And like, as you know, they call it hitting your bottom as I was hitting my bottom, like physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, um, you know, I got to the, the point where I needed significant help, medical help you know, emotional help. Like I, I needed to be sent somewhere and, and get the help that I needed. And, um, the whole time, you know, I knew like, like my heart knew that like, what you're doing is going to kill you. Like, this is not going to get better. You need help. But my brain was like, I got this, Uh you know, like I had such a strong, you know, growing up the way I did, um, I created, and I think a lot of men do anyway, like just how society, society like trains us is to have this real strong, self-sufficient streak Oh yeah, to not, you know, to not need anyone and, and to need anyone is weakness or to, you know, you better just man up and figure it out yourself, you know, work harder, you know, whatever it was. And like, I had, I had become paralyzed by my addiction um, to the point to where, you know, I, I, I couldn't, I, I didn't know how to ask for help, I think essentially. And, you know, thank God, I, you know, I had an intervention at work and, um, you know, like five people pulled me into a room and basically um, that started my, my recovery. And, and one of the, um, one of the people in the room, you know, as I was, um, you know, kind of like going, you know, fessing up and, and sharing what I had been doing, she mouthed to me, get help. You know, and I was just like, even then, man, like, um, I was like, I got it. I don't need help. And like, long story short, like what pushed me into getting help was all the circumstances that got created around my behavior. You know, I was, I was losing my, my wife was, you know, threatening to divorce me, which she ultimately did. I was losing my job. I had the DEA knocking on my door. Um, you know, I had a lot of circumstances. So I was like, I'm going to go get help just to fix all this stuff. And when I was there, you know, so that, so I went to rehab, I was there for four months and a couple of weeks in, 
um, what I had realized with a little bit of clarity in the drugs, you know, detoxing out of my system was like, um, man, I needed this help my entire life because, because my using and my, my drinking and my, you know, my drug use was just a symptom, you know, it's just a symptom of something else. And, and what I've come to find out was just that I, um, you know, through that self-sufficiency, I created a lot of barriers to receiving love, mm-hmm. you know, at, at the most core fundamental level it was like, you know, so I would put walls up in, in relationships or, you know, I wouldn't share freely. Um, I would hold back on things that I actually wanted to do just to people, please others. Right. So like I was constantly navigating this, um, like falsity, like this false life. Like I, I wasn't really connected to a, who I am like be what I want and see like this, you know, having something greater outside of myself to tap into. Um, man, you're hitting you know, on so many key, key yeah, issues. I, know, there. Man, I, I mean, like dropping the, it, yeah. the, um, the having something bigger than self is a huge value or goal to strive for self-transcendent goals. Big deal. Yeah. I, I think, you know, so many of us are stuck in pursuing our own wealth, fame, and power. And I can't tell you how many men I've talked to that are, you know, 50 and, worth a bunch of money and just miserable. Um, totally. but yeah. And, and thank you for sharing all that. And I think one of the biggest problems, and I guess I'll say for men, but I doesn't necessarily have to be is that I've seen is this lack of intellectual humility, that the idea that we think we know it all, the thing that we get indignant when someone tries to tell us to consider something different, a new perspective, and I think that if we can hold on to this idea of curiosity and the idea of knowing just how much we don't know is a good first step. Yeah, there, there's this, um, this really cool distinction that um, the Landmark Forum goes through about, about our knowledge, right? Like we know, you know, we know what we know and we know what we don't know. Like, for example, like, I know I don't know how to perform brain surgery. Right. Like I know that. Right. Um, you know, I know how to play bass guitar. Right. Like I know that stuff. But they talk about you not knowing what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And that that was like, you know, a huge invitation for me to, like, get a little more curious and open my mind and heart up to more possibility for what's available in my life. You know, like, how do I know I can't? you know, meet the woman of my dreams at 42? Like, how do I know that I won't be a father? How do I know that I won't run a successful, fulfilling business? Like, um, you know, we start to see all these limitations, right? And, and I, I, run a, I run across this a lot in the men that reach out to me to talk about potentially working with me is that they think I have the answers or like, I, like, I, like I have the knowledge that they don't have it. I'm just going to tell them what to do. Uh-huh. Right. Which as a coach is, you know, I, I might share some of that, but the, the main, the main purpose of that is having them discover their own truth, their own knowledge, like the, the, the answers to the questions that they have, those answers are already inside them, Yeah, you know, but there's so much crap in the way to, to dig it out. Um, and that's, you know, that's where I come in with the shovel. You yeah. Know, you're like Socrates asking the right questions. Right. Or yeah. Questions that no one's in their life is asking them. Mm-hmm. you know and it's um you know it's it's an important conversation to be in and it's important to have you know at least someone you trust and and can build a relationship with to help guide guide through that but yeah man there's 
you know, I think that, that, that self-knowledge, right. Or that, um, kind of that relationships where you think, you know, what, you know, or you think, you know, everything paired with, you know, a big self-sufficient streak, like that's recipe for pain, you know, it's recipe for a lot of, um, disconnection. And, you know, that's why we see, I think a lot of the stats that we see with men, they're dying earlier, they're killing themselves more, you know, they're, they're more unfulfilled. They have less friends than they they've had. And, um, they're more depressed and undiagnosed. Like it's catching up, you know, it's catching up. So let me circle back and ask a question that I forgot. And now remembered you were talking about having difficulty receiving love earlier in life. And, and I think, I think that's another really common theme. Again, I I'll say for men, I'm not sure it's just for men, but I'll say for Mm men, um, how are you now with your ability to receive love? The thing, great question. And like the thing, the thing I'll say is like, I still have my challenges with it. You know, in my own work and and like the work I do with a lot of my folks is that, you know, our stuff is still our stuff. You know, our, our challenges, our, you know, internal barriers, our criticisms, our judgments, our complaints, our fears, that stuff in my, in, in my mind and, and what I've seen, it never goes away, but what gets to change or transform is your relationship to it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, when I think about when I'm feeling, you know, some discontent in my life or I'm irritated or overwhelmed, um, I can always bring that down to two core fundamental aspects, right? Love and fear. And if I'm, if I'm tapping more into fear, I'm essentially have, I'm pushing love away in some way. And my, you know, I see that a lot in in my, you know, in my marriage, you know, my, my wife, she's extraordinary. She's such an incredible woman. And, um, she's very patient. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. And thank God. Right. And like, one of the, one of the most beautiful things that we've created in our relationship is that we are mirrors for each other's healing. Yeah, it's right? so wild. She, it's wild, man. It's go, like go into that concept a little bit because that's profound. Yeah, so she, you know, like in this kind of like where I'm pushing love away, right? She can like reflect that back to me and not have it mean anything about her. Mm-hmm. She knows it's my stuff, and then she can hold that space. Or off, she's very, she's such a powerful woman. She'll call me forward into it. She'll be like, she'll invite me into shifting my way of being or shifting my actions that would actually allow me to to receive and and i think the biggest the biggest dynamic where we see that now is with us co-parenting our son right like like my son um he's such a catalyst for my my growth and development in so many ways teachers oh my god man like I, i had no idea what he would be bringing forth and um you know, one, one thing I noticed was, um, like when he, he's a toddler, like his primary form of communication is like freaking out, you know, it's having a temper <laughs> tantrum is like, is like crying. Right. Yep, and, yep, yep. and like, it would take me out, man. It would trigger me. It would, oh, it yeah. would like, you know, I would just want to run or I would get angry or upset or, you know, like it just really was, and, you know, from negative. an evolutionary perspective, that's intended to do that. Yeah. It's intended to get you to respond at a deep level to their need. Yeah. And then it usually, it often can flood and overwhelm us, which I know it did for me when I was a, a new parent. 
hundred percent. And, and my wife, you know, my wife said something to me. She's like, Hey, I, I need to share something with you. And I was like, what? And she's like, <laughs> did you say just like that? <laughs> probably. Yeah. Probably. And, and she's like, you know, when, when Forrest, our son, when he gets upset and, and cries, I feel like I have to deal with two toddlers and not just one meaning like I'm the, I'm the other toddler. Oh yeah. Right? I'm, I'm with you. I know. Yeah. And, and like the, the awareness or the thing I got to was like, you know, his, the space he has to cry and express and like freak out. Right. Like he's got all that space in the world. And like, I didn't as a kid, you know, like it was, you know, I'll give you something to cry about yep. or, you know, um, children are seen, not heard kind of context. Yep. Right. So like, it was like, it was triggering me like first, like, Hey, how the hell does he get away with that? You know, why does he get to do that? And I don't. Yeah. And the second, the second, like more kind of profound thing was like, dude, stop crying. Cause we're not safe. Like, like, man, like shut up. Like this is yeah. not safe to do this. And you well, know, can like I that, jump in there? Cause I think there's another piece there also. Yeah, where yeah, yeah. When I was in your shoes as a young parent, I, my child would like skin their knee and start crying, wailing. And because of my empathy, it would fill me with such discomfort internally that I couldn't handle my own discomfort. And then it would come out as anger. Yeah. And I really had to look at that and be like, what the fuck is going on here? Like they just fell and hurt themselves and I'm getting mad. Like that's a mess. Like I need to work on that. Yeah, man. hundred percent. Yeah. I have that same, or it's like, Oh God, here we go again. You know, like, or it'll, it'll be like such an inconvenience for me that my son hurt himself. Or you, or, or you can right? man box your three-year-old. Yeah. yeah. Dude, stop so, being such a little bitch. Yeah, suck head. it up, you know, man. You don't say that, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, it's all the variations on that, right? Like suck it totally. up. Yeah, like toughen up. Like it's good for you. Yep. Feel the pain. Eat the pain. Rub, rub some dirt on it. Yeah. Shit some nails out. Yeah. They never said that, but I just, you know. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, man. So, yeah, I mean, so the ability to receive love, I think, is a, a really fascinating topic um, because I know, like, in my relationship with my partner, I don't think that I could fully grasp or feel the extent to which she loves me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe I get, I don't know if I had to guess 80% of it, but I'm really trying to work on expanding that to get closer to a hundred percent to really, really fathom the depths of her love for me. Cause that at some level, I think is frightening for me. Sure. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. It makes, makes total sense. And that's because if someone I mean, loves me that much, they can also hurt me. That's one part. And the other part is how the hell can someone love me so much? Right. I mean, that gets or or like worth. Yeah. Or what's wrong with them that they love me this way. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. That, that's the one that I know is what coming up for me is like, man, if a woman like that can love me as much as she does, like, yeah. um, what the hell's wrong with her? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. What trauma did she have? Right. Right. Or like, yeah. um, man, if she only knew she only really saw. Yeah. Oh yeah. Was. But that's, yeah. I mean, that's the other way to get through that is by being vulnerable and sharing all those dark, shameful parts of ourselves over time. And then they do actually know who you are. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's a pretty fulfilling experience also. 
Yeah. If I were to ask like another question is, um, have you identified like what's in the, the gap for you to get to that, like hundred percent full, full receive of love from Jory? Um, geez, not a good question. Um, actually, you know, it's, it's funny. I think part of it has been going through difficulty and challenge. You know, I, I think we, we broke up, I broke up with her, um, and it was about two and a half months and it was really, really fucking painful. I mean, yeah. for both of us and I was tremendously humbled and broken down at a new level. And I think that process of being broken down and her being willing to come back to me or being open to another chance, um, at some level really helped show me how much she loves me. I, I think that the, the willingness that I've had recently to do whatever it takes to win her back, whether that's, you know, going to an intensive couples counseling weekend or seeing couples counsel or looking at my own worst traits and patterns of behavior that have, have been in existence for as long as I'm aware um, and then seeing some growth in those areas. I think all that stuff shows me just how deep that love is and to begin to trust it more. And I, I think that's a big part of it is trusting that it will remain, that it will stay there. And, and, and I think that goes back to, you know, stuff in childhood, right? That I don't know that that was something I could trust, that it was very conditional when I was younger. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And I think like, like the thing coming up for me in that is I think so many of us look for like the proof or the, the evidence that we're loved. Right. And then, you know, I think, you know, especially for men, like, you know, we have some pretty fundamental needs of feeling acknowledged and appreciated for like all the stuff we do. Right. And, and I, and a lot of the couples that I work with, I see a huge breakdown in that is that, the men just feel underappreciated or like under encouraged or under, you know, accepted. And that, that feeds into this, this barrier that gets built to love. And, um, you know, and, and it's kind of, it's like a prove it to me, right? Like I need this prove it yeah. to me versus like you just kind of mentioned there is, is trusting, you know, is, is just trusting that this this other human being who's decided to spend their life with me, like does love me, you know. And well, for me, that trust gets back to self worth and a lack of it, yeah. and I think that's yeah. a really common theme too. But if I don't have, if my self worth is rocky, if it's fluctuating, then how can I trust that that love is going to be there for someone like me? Yeah, you know, at a deep level. And, and I think that's also connected to shame. But, you know, back to your earlier point, one of the things I was thinking about before we got on air was this idea that fascinates me because I think when we fall in love with someone, pick a trait, right? We fall in love with the trait. We see it in this through rose-colored lens. We see it all positive. So when I fall in love with someone, she's, oh my God, she's a great planner. She's super organized. She's on top of it. She's determined fast forward six, seven years, and you have all those hurts, anger, resentment, annoyances that add up over time, those small drops of resentment. And mm -hmm. your lens goes from all positive to mostly negative. And then the same trait that you fell in love with 
now becomes a negative. So now she's a controlling in your mind. And the funny thing about that to me is she hasn't changed. Your perception of her has changed. And, and that fascinates me. So then if you look at the relationship as a mirror for your own shit, and I look at, okay, so wait, what? So I'm judging her for being controlling. What is it in me that needs to be controlled? What is mm-hmm. it I like about being controlled? And, and I think, you know, from there you can go to something like, well, if, if she's controlling, then it takes a lot of weight off me for making decisions, for example. And that's kind of the interesting process that I think you go through to unpack some of this shit. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally again, that's why, <laughs> you know, like our, our most important relationships are our greatest teachers. If, you know, if we allow them to be, you know, if we allow them to be, and you know, like the things that it, it's such a, it's such an interesting dynamic that, that plays out. Like the things that we once, you know, admire and love about our partners are the things that, you know, we start to use as evidence to build a case against as to why, you know, they're not the one or they're going to leave me or, you know, I gotta, I gotta bail. I gotta get out of this relationship. And, um, you know, again, it it fundamentally goes back down to, you know, I think self-worth, self-love, like truly understanding, um, the value that you are, right. Like the gift that you are, um, which I think, you know, I think if, if we bring this back to full circle, like, it's why it's so critical to understand who you are as a man, um, understand what your definition of that is, you know, cause if we, we have these physical or these body changes and challenges that come up, it's going to rock the foundation of all of that, right, you know, right. all of it, you know? Yeah. Um, so let's go. We only got, I think about 10 minutes left. I can't really see the yeah. clock, but, um, let's go a little bit into your book. Why, why my relationship sucks. Yeah. And I, I mean, it, I feel like we've hit on, I'm, I'm assuming we've hit on a number of these topics, but tell me a little bit about the book. Yeah. So, you know, it was a book that, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I didn't know I had in me, but like, once I started writing it, it, it was clear it was there, you know, wanting to come out for, um, quite a while. And, and, you know, I wrote it, started writing after I met, you know, met my wife and, the the reason or like the the way i was able to meet my wife and and create a relationship with her is because i i started taking on so much relational work in my life you know i i had i had you know prior to meeting her i just ended another seven-year relationship i you know i'd gone through a divorce and one of the the biggest ahas i had was you know, so much of my relationship experience was unfulfilling, um, you know, disconnected, um, you know, not getting my needs met. And the biggest aha I got in that was the common denominator in all those relationships was me. Right. And Oh yeah. Yeah. And like almost (laughs) (laughs) totally like, but like, but like all of my relationships, like the, like they all kind of ended in the same way. You know, I was like hot and heavy and like great and awesome. And then just like, they got so sick of my shit. They were like, I'm out of here. Right. And, you know, the, the, the book, you know, the book, it, it's, you know, certainly me telling my own story, me, you know, training and, and teaching how to be in a relationship. Cause there's no, 
you there's no class in school where like this is how you create relationships right which i think there should be but you know and i and i share some some stories of some of the clients i've worked with but fundamentally ultimately it's about taking radical responsibility in how you show up to relationships how you create them and you know when conflict and challenges come up when not if but when they come up how do you navigate them in a loving way that can actually allow and promote some healing for for both sides you know for both and well yeah and allow your partner to hear you which is probably the biggest challenge a lot of times yeah and two like um you know i think there's a lot of we go into relationships like confused you know or we're distracted by um you know just like the the physicalness of early relationships but Mm-hmm. You know, and that can make us make decisions that we ultimately or settle for for people or circumstances that ultimately aren't what we want. So a lot of it too is about getting crystal clear on the experience of relationship that you want, getting crystal clear on the characteristics um, of a, a, a potential partner that that you want to discover, right? And you know the the books for anyone, um, you know anyone in relationship, whether that's you're looking for one, you're looking to improve one, or you're looking to get out of one, right? I, I think those are kind of the three, you know, the three um, arenas that we play in inside a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's some practical advice. There's, you know, a lot of, a lot of storytelling. Cause I think when people understand um, that they're not alone in their relationship experience or their, their relationship journey and how they're trying to create it, Again, that that provides a little more um, understanding of what's actually going on, you know. And yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of sharing stories as a way to teach. Yeah, and normalize. 100%. Yeah, I think it's yeah. a huge, especially for men, because we don't want to ask questions, we don't want to ask for help. Okay, so let me let me share this part of my story and see if you can, you know, if this resonates with you. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's uh, well, yeah, it, you know, it's um, you know, it's uh. It, cha- it challenged me in, in so many ways too. And, um, <laughs> my, you know, my wife, like once the book came out, um, and, and she read it, you know, she, we were go we, you know, we were going through something and, and, and she approached me and she's like, where's the man that wrote this book? Like, how come he's not here right now? And it was just like, Oh my God. And, and that and, brings up an interesting phenomenon too. Yeah. Like what that we go away. In some way, because I just experienced that with a depressive episode with Jory, where I was not myself for several months. Yeah, and I couldn't get out of it, and I couldn't really see it very clearly. But I was gone. Yep, with her, and it just brings up this interesting phenomenon. Like, where's the man that wrote this book? Totally, and again, like John that's Hill. yeah, yeah, and that that's the beauty of having you know, a relationship that works, right. Is that she could reflect that to, to me and, you know, call me forward and be like, you know, you're right. You know, I haven't been, you know, acting in, in line with my commitment to you, you know, or I haven't been showing up and, and loving you in a way that, that I said I would, or that, that matters, right. I haven't been your partner. You know, we've been opponents versus teammates, you know, and it's, do you have, do you have, any other agreed upon ways that she can get into you, so to speak, when you're not yourself, when you're, because to me, it's like being about, it's about being irritable. It's about being a little bit depressed. It's about <clears throat> being stressed and, you know, you're elsewhere. Like we're thinking about work all the time. Do you have any agreed upon ways to 
Yeah, she'll. Um, so we do. We we've done and do a lot of inner child work. Uh, you know, I've, I've done some stuff through uh, some twelve step programs, um, some additional training I've had. Um, you know, we do some inner child work in the the couples program that that we run. But she'll check in. She'll be like, "Hey, what does little Bobby need?" Hmm. And off oftentimes I'll be, you know, like my first response is like, "Leave me alone," you know. But that again, that's <laughs> yep. that's that barrier to love. But she'll she'll know like if i'm if i'm just not myself that my my inner child the little one i have inside me um you know which which is a whole other conversation we'll probably get into but like understanding the needs of that little one inside of you uh is so important because a lot of times that 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 inner child can start running the show and of course we don't want a, a child running our marriage right we don't want a child running our business. But like when I get triggered, taken out, scared, pissed off, upset, it's always yep. a good opportunity. Like, Oh, what is, what does he need? Like he, you know, he wants to go out for ice cream and go play at the park. And I'll literally take my grown ass to the park and with some ice cream. Good for you. Like, yeah. Like I'll, like, I want to that feel safe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll make, I'll make that a practice, but yeah, to get in, she'll, you know, she'll check in with my, my inner child. And, and one thing we do, which I think is important and, and it's a good practice for, for any couple is, is what we call a set the table. Um, a lot of times when we have a challenging conversation to have, we kind of ambush our partner on it or it comes out in complaint or comes out in an argument. So we, we have a practice where we call it set the table is, is inviting your partner in to the conversation. Hey, when would be a good time for us to talk about, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, because it gives them an opportunity to prepare and not immediately throw a defense up and, and just have a, a conversation and partnership with each other. We've yeah, um, John Gottman has the, the soft startup, which is, Hey, maybe yeah. I've got something important to talk to you about yep. is now a good time. And they have freedom to say yes or no. Cause so often we, and if the answer is no, then we're, you know, when can we talk? But so often we blindside our partner because yeah. we can't deal with our own emotional state. And then we just unload on them and they're not in a position to hear us because they're tired, they're stressed, they're thinking about work, they're, you know, they've had a glass of wine or two, like, and, and that's never going to go well. So you're trying to set yourself up for the best chances of success that you can in these conversations. Right. And, you know, I think ultimately is having the conversation be about curiosity, right? Is being able to listen and understand where they're at versus fight, defend, or justify, right? Like it's, like regardless of, you know, whether they're right or wrong, which you know, I don't think is even a space, it's still their experience of you, of the relationship. Yeah. And, you know, if, if being committed to your partner in that way, it's an opportunity to understand really where they're at. And one of the most fundamental needs that I think many women have is they want to be understood. They want to be heard. They don't want to be fixed. Right? They yeah, don't want to be validated. Yeah. Yeah. And and I like, I agree with Terry Reel's belief that um, there's no place in relationship for objective reality. In other words, it's not about who's right and wrong. It's about seeing, hearing, and validating your partner, understanding where they're coming from. Yeah. And and that's, you know, that's something I'm still working on. Yeah. Which goes like, and you will, right? Like that's a lot of these skills are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like and I hate know, that phrase. Back. It's your work. Damn it. Yeah, sorry. The work's you know, painful. Sorry. I don't want to do the work. 
<laughs> right. Right. That was a trigger for me. Jory said that once. Like, it's your work. I'm like, mother. Yeah. Like, oh, you're right. And you're, uh, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. I hate <laughs> it when you're right. Yeah. Having a powerful partner, there's a consequence. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, it goes back to is, you know, it's just the invitation is, you know, get curious about, you know, what, what gets driven up in, in you. And, you know, is it, ultimately serving you what's there to take on what's there to notice what's there to heal what's there to share and you know all you know ultimately it's it's going to better your experience of life all around yeah well bob i this has been a hell of a conversation yeah. um i enjoyed this greatly and thank you so much where can people get a hold of you or find yeah, sure. um, barnes and noble yeah, my book's uh, Barnes and Nobles. I'm very active on social media. Um, so if you Google my name, I'll, I'll, I'll pop up quite a bit. Um, so I'm pretty, pretty easy to find. Okay. Um, and then if you want, we'll put the, uh, the website and, and things in the podcast notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conlin Coaching, C-O-N-L-I-N Coaching.com is my main, my main website. That's what I was looking for. Excellent. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. And anything else that uh, you want to wrap up with? No, man. Thanks for having me on. This was a great convo. It was deep and fast. And um, yeah, man, wishing you all the love and healing for, uh, for your eye, man, for your vision. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And appreciate you having you on. This was a heck of a conversation, as I said. And that is it for this episode of The Evolved Caveman. If you loved this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and share with your friends. If you didn't like it, you don't have to do a damn thing. Thanks so much. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com. 